Welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Uh, today is Thursday, December 17th, and I think I got a great show here for you. I'll be interviewing later on uh, Susan Lerner, who's the executive director of Common Cause. Uh, we had a great conversation about um, the exciting development happening here in Syracuse with the independent redistricting uh, that is being passed hopefully this Monday. Uh, and uh, the journey to that and what obstacles we face um, in the county as well and uh, still face, unfortunately. Uh, we also have a great talk about ranked choice voting. I think that's something that uh, a lot of people uh, um, are, are interested in. I'm firmly agnostic for ranked choice voting, but uh, I'm willing to see how it plays out in New York City um, had a ballot initiative last year and uh, they are supposed to be trying that out this year in this year's primary. So we're looking forward to seeing uh, how that works. And also of course, uh, legislative changes that we need in New York and uh, throughout, uh, you know, to deal with the pandemic uh, and the, the lessons we learned in 2020 and what worked, what didn't work and what we can bring forward in 2021 and beyond uh, to make our elections better here in New York. Um, the post-election uh, process continues. Um, I'm going to try to start up my wonky Wednesday articles again. I have a little bit more time. I'm not working 18-hour days, <laughs> so uh, a lot of that stuff I do on my own time. So um, I did a I did drop an article yesterday, uh, uh, and you can find that on my Facebook feed or on my Tumblr blog. Just look for Dustin Zarney on Tumblr, um, and uh, we. Uh, uh, I, I, I went into the turnout uh, for Onondaga County. We had a, uh, a, a lot of uh, record-breaking turnout, but I wanted to show where that turnout was coming from, how that turnout, uh, how those people voted, uh, and also how it can, uh, compared historically. I think there's a lot of interesting insights into that uh, data, so go check that out. Uh, again, you can find it on um, the Tumblr blog, if you just search Dustin Zarni on Tumblr, you'll find it. Or uh, I have it in my news feeds on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So you can check them out there as well. Uh, and uh, in, over the next week, uh, we are catching up on registration and catching up on uh, you know data that we collected on voters through the absentee ballot process and get that into the system um, because we have to be ready for um, February, we have to be as caught up as possible because that's when we start determining signatures uh, and, and the number of signatures on, that you need to get on the ballot. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, how are we going to be doing petitions with a pandemic raging? And that is a very good question. And um, I hope uh, that we will uh, have some answers on that pretty shortly into the new session in January. Um, we've been talking to legislators about that. And uh, hope uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to uh, get some answers on that. That is one of the questions out there, and also on the question is whether we can count absentee ballots early. That's something that Susan and I talk about a little later, and I've been talking about uh, with everybody uh, that is uh, with uh, the legislature. So that's what's going on. Um, some. Uh, Deadlines to note that February 14th is your party change deadline. So if you are not enrolled in a party or if you recently got dropped uh, from a party because 
the independent Sam, uh, Green, and Libertarian parties are no longer recognized parties. Those uh, voters go into the other category, uh, other slash Libertarian or other slash Reform, um, or, or other slash Sam, uh, you know, uh, so we can still track them. So if they become a party again, those they go back into the party. But those are being done and letters are going out shortly on that. Um, so, uh, but if you want to change your party to vote in next year's primaries, you have till February 14th or to sign petitions or walk petitions. <laughs> so there's plenty of uh, um, reasons to switch your party. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, and, and what else is going on? Well, there's uh, uh, this uh, Saturday, and we, uh, Susan and I talk about this, is there's a virtual town hall to support the redistricting effort in Syracuse. Uh, I'll be hosting that, uh, and uh, the several common counselors are going to come on to pledge their support, I hope, and, uh, and explain what the process is, and I hope to explain it as well. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and hopefully on Monday, we'll see that pass. Uh, and uh, then uh, we have still coming up, uh, the Working Families has set a deadline of December 28th. Uh, that is uh, their deadline for candidates who want to receive their line uh, this year for 2021 to uh, apply. Uh, and the Onondaga County Democratic Committee has set their deadline for January 3rd to receive letters of intent to be part of their process. Again, you don't necessarily need to be part of the Onondaga County Democratic Committee process, but it is a very important early step. Um, you know, uh, you can get ballot access other ways, but it's much easier to go through the committee and get ballot access that way. And that's why almost everybody does, uh, they at least try. Uh, not everybody succeeds and then it becomes a primary. And I, I do expect um, primaries in the city of Syracuse next year. Um, we have a mayoral race. We already have two declared Democratic candidates for that. And of course, you have your incumbent, uh, Ben Walsh as well. And the Democrats who have declared are Michael Green and Colleen Bay. Um, I am neutral in all primaries, so I will be wishing both of those uh, fine gentlemen, my friends, uh, you know, well in their designation process. Um, and, um, but, uh, I expect other primaries as well, because especially inside the city where there is no GOP presence at all, it tends to, uh, you know, be more city, uh, uh, you know, Democrats that tend to uh, have more primaries that way. And that's okay. That is healthy for our democracy. So, uh, sorry, I'm yawning. Uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes I record these late at night and I'm trying to record these right before bed tonight. So I can get that out uh, for you on uh, tomorrow morning. So uh, thank you very much uh, for tuning in as always. And please remember to share these videos if you can, uh, because this is how we are getting information out there. This is how I'm trying to get information out there. During this pandemic, there's not a lot of community meetings and gatherings to go and talk about uh, different election law issues. And, and I've lined up some great guests uh, to explain what's going on in New York State. So if you uh, like what you see, please share uh, this video or podcast on your social media feeds and let's help, uh, um, you know, spread this, uh, uh, you know, message out there. And uh, all right, well, 
Um, next up is my interview with Susan Lerner, Executive Director of Common Cause. And we're back and I'm really honored to have my friend Susan Lerner of Common Cause New York, the Executive Director of Common Cause New York, uh, coming back uh, on our program uh, because we have something pretty exciting happening here in Syracuse, New York. Uh, uh, next Monday on the 21st, uh, City of Syracuse will enact enabling legislation to create the first citizen-led redistricting commission in New York and the first one east of the Mississippi, I believe. It's a, it's a big thing. Uh, it's been a two-year project that Susan and Common Cause has partnered with local uh, allies on getting this done as well as the Syracuse City Common Council. So we thought it would be great to have Susan back and we'll talk a little bit about elections as well. Susan, thank you so much for coming back on Zoom with Zarni. My honor, Dustin, without a doubt. Always love to be talking about what's happening in Syracuse because you guys get so much done. Well, thank you. And, and it's been a long journey. You and I have been talking about redistricting uh, in Syracuse I think it was January of 2019, we kind of started, maybe even a little bit before that, we kind of started yeah. talking about what maybe this newfound idea, this citizen-led redistricting could change the way partisan gerrymandering, uh, you know, happened in city of Syracuse and maybe Onondaga County, maybe someday. Uh, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. So why do you, what is citizen-led redistricting for those who don't know uh, what's going on? So every 10 years after the census, political boundary lines for districts are redrawn to reflect changes in the population. And in the United States, we have a pretty dreadful record in many places in terms of how those boundary, political boundary lines are drawn. They are often drawn to advantage the sitting legislator, whichever party they're in, or in some places they're drawn to try and um, influence the outcome of the elections to make it harder for one particular political party to win uh, and uh, guarantee uh, the party drawing the lines the ability to maintain their grip on power. And I have to say, Dustin, and that's called political gerrymandering. And I have to say that that is a temptation and an addiction that both political parties have fallen prey to. It is very difficult for a sitting legislator to give up the power of the pen and let somebody else draw the lines in a way that gives the voters a fair choice in terms of who to elect. And so what we see across the country is in situations where the people are unable to make a change, the legislators keep the uh, district redistricting process for themselves, and they often draw boundary lines that lock in incumbents that advantage one party over the other. So in response to that, in places where citizens are able to initiate the changes by putting initiatives on the ballot, and it started with Austin, Texas, and it happened in California, that the citizens get together and say, you know what? 
we don't like the system where the legislature draws the lines to pick who their voters will be. We want the voters to pick the legislators. And they've come up with the idea of a commission of interested and adequately skilled citizens who take the new census data and the rules that apply to redistricting and come up with maps that are fair, that give voters a chance to elect the people that they want. And every place that has a citizens commission, they have a tremendous amount of public input. In California, before they even started to think about drawing maps, they held over a hundred open meetings to hear from people. What is going on in your district? What do you think is right? And what do you think is wrong about the current political map? And how would you change it? So and it's been very successful and incredibly popular in the places that have it. And we already know it's, it, it's popular in Syracuse because in 2019, the city of Syracuse Common Council enacted a charter change to mandate a citizen-led independent redistricting commission. Um, and that, that, required, that charter change required a public vote and it got 75% of the vote in 2019. Um, and so we know that it's popular because even though city of, and it's not just popular with one party, I mean, city of Syracuse is a pretty democratic leaning city, but it's not 75%. In fact, we have an independent mayor right now and we've, we've uh, elected Republican mayors. So <coughs> it's, it's not, you know, it, it's actually crossing party lines this popularity of this uh, type of approach to redistricting. So I think that's absolutely true. And we see this everywhere. We've had uh, red states and blue states that have um, you know, backed independent citizen-led redistricting, Alaska, not just California, but Alaska, Austin, Texas. It's very, very popular with people. But what's, I think, really exceptional about what Syracuse did is that it wasn't the voters who put this on the ballot. It was the Common Council willing to give up their power to protect their districts and hand it to the people. That's pretty unusual in my experience. And so, uh, you know, I think we really have to applaud the Common Council for being willing to do the right thing, to let their voters have the say, and, uh, you know, not only to pass it, to put it on the ballot, to pass it, and now to implement it. Often we're fighting the legislative body to get it done here in Syracuse they're hand in hand with the voters, making sure that this process is going to work. It's pretty exciting to see that. Yeah, and you can't uh, give enough credit to the people on the Common Council who voted uh, eight to one to put this into place. Um, and it was led by the Common Council President, uh, Helen Hudson, who not only voted to put the legislation into place, but she had uh, over a dozen meetings before the charter change was passed and then uh, you know six seven eight me meetings virtual during the pandemic um and taking input from people uh during this last uh summer to come up with the enabling legislation which is what's going to be passed on monday and so that's um 
And that's all due to her credit. And it actually goes towards what's going to happen with this commission that, you know, is going to be enabled on Monday. And then starting January 1st, they're going to start taking applications from uh, people all across the city of Syracuse who want to take part in this. And then it's going to set up over a dozen public meetings before our next lines in the city of Syracuse are drawn. Uh, so as you were saying, it's more public input. Um, and, and that's really the goal, right? I mean, if we get Absolutely. public input, we get better lines. Absolutely. And then we have more faith in the, the election and in our elected officials. It's really healthy for democracy. What we've seen in places like Austin, Texas, California, people, when they find out that they have an opportunity to be on these commissions, they apply. A really broad selection of uh, people have applied in other places. And I have no doubt that it will be the same thing in Syracuse, where we're going to see a, a wonderful cross-section of the city step up and say, yes, I want to help get democracy right. Because that's what this is about. This is input on the most basic way on what makes our democracy work and what makes our democracy responsive to the people or not responsive to the people. That's so pretty exciting. So you said it's very rare that uh, a legislature would give up its own power. And we saw a uh, case, in fact, with that, with the county legislature here in Onondaga County, who um, we put the same proposal before them. And unfortunately, we had a different result. Uh, you want to talk about that uh, and, and maybe where we can go from there? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was instructive, let me say that. Um, you know, both you and, well, Common Cause, grassroots activists in Onondaga got together. We um, circulated petitions. We got uh, really thousands of Onondaga residents to call or write their county legislators. Um, you know, we understand that some of the legislators started turning off their phones because they were hearing from the public. Imagine, imagine being a legislature. God legislator, forbid. <laughs> and have, having to actually talk to people you represent who call you to tell you how important redistricting is. So it was very illuminating to see that uh, the some of the county legislators did not want to deal with the people they represent were actually offended that they were getting emails and letters from their constituents in support of redistricting. And the uh, measure went up for a vote and there were different uh, attempts uh, to satisfy uh, the majority of the county legislature with possible changes. Nope, they were not going to let the people have a role here. Uh, and it, it went down on a, a, a straight party line very frustrating considering how, how they all admitted that they were hearing from more people in support of redistricting than they did for virtually any other issue that they were addressing during this session. And they just overlooked the will of the people and said it's more important for us to maintain our grip on power than it is to serve the voters. Yeah, and I think you're leaving out, uh, you know, uh, one crucial issue, at least for me, on that whole uh, thing is that while the city of Syracuse was um, 
passing their legislation, we had a pledge uh, that went out. Yes. The, 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 and the pledge said that they would, if they were an elected official, they would support independent redistricting. And almost every one of the county ledge um, uh, members, 15 of the 17 members, uh, signed that pledge. And that's why we brought this legislation to them because yeah. they said they were in favor of it until they until weren't. Until they weren't. Well, I mean, that just goes, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's important to remember that they signed the pledge during the election, right? They recognized how popular nonpartisan fair redistricting is. And in order to convince voters to vote for them, they made a pledge. But as soon as they actually had to honor the pledge, they just turned around and made up some excuse and just ignored it. Yeah, and that's too bad. It's too bad that it went party line. It's too bad that it, you know, like so many votes this year went party line um, in the in the county legislature. But uh, you know, but we do have this city of Syracuse model that's going to go forward. And you know, the the Republicans on the county legislature will say that they they passed a redistricting reform, which was nothing more than a set of aspirational resolutions that have no force of law and yeah. really don't change anything. And I'll know because I'm on the redistricting commission and I didn't want to be, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to fulfill my role, but I would rather have had regular citizens doing it. And we still have this redistricting commission that will meet next year with the county ledge, though we're not sure what's going to happen with the census data. We don't know. Um, whether lines will actually be able to draw, be drawn next year. So we may well, have a window to change this in the future. Well, I don't think that the census data will be so late that um, there'll be that much more time. I think there's a real effort because listen, every jurisdiction in the country is waiting for the census data. Um, there are a lot of reasons why the census this year uh, was really not what it should have been. A lot of it goes to a failure of the federal government in this area, as in so many others, to live up to its obligations and responsibilities. But the permanent career staff at the Census Bureau is working incredibly hard, trying to pull together a reliable set of data in terms of you know, who is actually living where and while I think the data is not going to come down on the typical schedule, I don't think it's going to be so late that it's going to push us into 2022. So we do, if you are interested, we're going to move on to another topic here, but if you are interested in the city of Syracuse redistricting and supporting this enable legislation, we're having a virtual town hall on Saturday, December 19th at noon. Fair Map CNY is holding it along with many of the common counselors that are supporting that legislation. You can hear more about how you can get involved and what the timelines are. Um, I'll put that in the description on uh, the podcast here and you can uh, link to the event and, uh, and join us Saturday at noon for that. But we do have other things going on, Susan. Uh, you, you are involved it's something that a lot of my viewers um, and, and constituents ask me about all the time, and that's ranked choice voting. And, uh, you know, uh, so I want to give you 
the opportunity to explain what it is, what's going on in New York City, and uh, what you hope to show by putting this in place in New York City. Absolutely. Thanks, Dustin. So ranked choice voting is actually a very simple idea. Instead of voting for only one candidate in crowded fields, the voter has the option in New York City to rank up to five candidates in their order of preference. Um, now, folks in Syracuse may not be familiar with the local elections in New York City, but because we have public financing of elections in New York City with a matching fund system, and we have term limits, every eight years or so, a lot of uh, people are termed out in our city council. And because of public financing, a lot of community-backed candidates are able to run. So it isn't unusual at all for us in New York City to have anywhere from six to 12 people running for an open seat. It's really hard to make sense of a field that large. Ranked choice voting, and also when you have crowded fields, if you have several candidates who have the same political philosophy that you do, or come from an ethnic group that you are part of, there's always the fear that if you vote for, that the vote splits among the different people with that particular philosophy or representing that community, and then somebody whom you don't actually want to have elected ends up kind of going through the middle and ending up being the winner. Not with the majority of the votes, because if you've got that kind of a crowded field, basically in a plurality winner system, you can have somebody who wins with 25 or 30% of the vote, which means that the vast majority of people in their district didn't want them to be in office. That's really not healthy for our democracy. With ranked choice voting, you vote your preferences. Your first choice is the candidate you are passionate about. And you don't worry, oh, am I wasting my vote? Does this person have a chance? This is the person you believe in. But if they are, don't have enough base of support, to win, then your second choice is a backup and a third and a fourth. What happens is on a, um, all of the first choice votes are counted up. And if somebody gets 50% plus one, they win, we're done. Just like the elections we're used to. But if nobody gets 50% plus one, the candidate with the fewest first place votes is eliminated. And the second choice for every voter who voted for that candidate is reallocated to their own choice. And then you look to see, do we have 50% plus one? And in New York, we keep doing that until we're down to the final two. So if the candidate you are passionate about is, is the bottom vote getter in the third round, your second choice vote, your, your vote will be transferred to your second choice. So this gives you more choices, it gives you more power. So your vote is really um, that much more powerful to really ensure that the ultimate winner has the majority support of the voters in the district and has done a good job of reaching out to the maximum number of voters. There's a really interesting difference with a ranked choice voting campaign. First of all, the cities that have it, San Francisco, Oakland, Minneapolis, Santa Fe, the state of Maine, and I think 
four or five states which used it for their presidential primaries this year, including Utah that uses it for at the county level and for their Republican presidential choice. Um, what they see is campaigns which are discouraged from using negative advertising. Because if you're attacking my, if you're candidate B and you're attacking my favorite candidate A, how likely am I to choose you candidate B as my second choice? I'm yeah, not. I didn't even think about that aspect of uh, ranked choice voting. I am, as you know, strongly agnostic towards <laughs> ranked choice voting, but that's mainly because I get worried about the administrator administering it. But like a lot of things, I want to see it in practice and I want to see how it works in New York City. And one thing I am not strongly agnostic on is that if the will of the voters have been uh, expressed that government should try to do that. And you had a city charter change on that. Is that correct? Yes. And again, close to 75% of the voters said, yes, we want this straight across the line on November 2019. And now we have a small group of city councilors who are very much entrenched in the current system who didn't who opposed ranked choice voting on the ballot, clearly didn't impress the voters with their opposition, have now filed a lawsuit saying it should be delayed. And we really don't agree with that. Um, in New York City, we have a big election coming up in 2021. Two thirds of the city council is termed out. The mayor is termed out and the comptroller is termed out. Four of our borough presidents who are like county executives are turned out. So there's gonna be a huge transformation of our government and who we elect. And all, already there are over 300 candidates who have filed for 37 open seats in the city council. And the voters are really going to be grateful to have ranked choice voting. The other thing that happens, Dustin, with ranked choice voting is that the candidates cannot afford to just talk to a narrow selection of the electorate, right? So in our typical current elections, consultants will say, don't worry about that other community. You just need to turn out your base. You turn out your base, you win, right? With five or six other candidates because your base is big enough and that'll do it. With ranked choice voting, if you're only talking to your base, chances are you are going to lose because you have to get outside of your base. You have to talk to people who have other first choices. You want to be their number two or their number three. So my colleagues in the Chinese community in New York City are really excited about ranked choice voting because they say if there's any Asian candidate running for an office, then no other candidate bothers to talk to the Asian voters, because they figure there's a Chinese person running, a Chinese voter will vote only for the Chinese candidate. First of all, that's not true, but secondly, it's a lost opportunity. Ranked choice voting flips that, because even if you think the voter is going to vote for somebody from their own community, you still wanna be their number two. That, yeah, that's great. Uh, so this lawsuit is ongoing, you're opposing it, 
I know a lot of other advocacy groups are opposing it as well. Um, it, it should be noted that ranked choice voting in the New York City Charter model is only for the primaries, right? right. It, 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 so it's not for the general election, it's just for the primaries. And um, it is uh, taking the place of what runoff elections that you used to have to hold in New York City right. often. Yeah. And yeah. uh, so this is a way to actually have a cost saving measure as well. For sure. Um, New York City Charter currently said, used to say that if any of the citywide candidates didn't get 40% or more, didn't get above 40% of the vote, that there had to be a runoff. And with the size of New York City, the runoff costs between 10 to $13 million. And another unfortunate thing about the runoff the turnout from the voters drops precipitously. So while we all, I think, are aware of the fact that it's hard to get people to come out and vote for primaries, for runoffs, it's even worse. So you have a smaller selection of the public making the final choice. And uh, ranked choice voting is an antidote to that as well. And we're seeing those runoffs in the Georgia Senate uh, races right now, although that's a whole different beast with a jungle primary, totally different thing. It's totally not different. Voting, um, but, it, but it is, you know, so don't be confused. It's not the same thing. Right, but, but with, with, with ranked choice voting, you do not have to beg the voters to come back and vote a second time. Right. And it's always difficult. Your runoff is built into your ballot. You vote once, and if, there, if you need a runoff, it's already there. Well, I am looking forward to it. I hope the lawsuit is uh, overturned and I, I hope that uh, we see this because I have often said that, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm agnostic on it because I've been in polling places when you have to give them a vote for two option and they get very confused. And so I wanna see how the voter education model rolls out in New York City, because A, we can use it even if we don't pass it up in, in other parts of New York, for the multiple vote sections, but also be um, if this is something that is going to come to the rest of New York State, I, I want to see how to administer it because I, you know, I want to I want to be prepared. <laughs> I guess so you know, Dustin, when you're talking about like with the judicial races or things of that sort, the problem is there's no voter education on that, yeah. and that's not going to be the the issue with ranked choice voting. We are very actively involved in educating voters right now. The city has an extensive education program and I feel pretty confident based on our experience in other cities that we will be able to show people how to do this. We all, you know, we all rank very naturally. It's just we're not used to taking that thing we do every day and using it in the voting booth. So we just need to get people to know what's coming and they'll be fine. So we've talked about a lot of stuff and we're going to end this uh, just kind of a, a, a recap. I know this would be a whole episode on itself and, and of course I'll have you back on, uh, you know, during legislative session next, uh, next year. But, you know, what people don't realize is that when we're talking about election laws and election changes and things that need to be done, bills are being written right now. And uh, the legislative session for next year doesn't start when they open their uh, 
when New York State Legislature comes back to Albany, although they're virtual for a little while, right. uh, in January, the staff is writing bills now. So what did Common Cause see as the main issues with last year? And what are you hoping to get passed in legislation in this next session? So there are a couple of things. First of all, and it's really to everybody's credit, the changes that were made in absentee voting between the June primary and the November general. I don't think I can think of an issue that wasn't that it's certainly in elections where we saw those widespread changes that quickly and broadly adopted to significantly improve absentee voting for voters. Uh, and I think that the legislatures, election administrators like yourself, the governor, the state board of elections, they all deserve credit for doing a massive, massive amount of work to improve absentee voting. But I think, especially here <laughs> talking to you in Onondaga, that there's some obvious problems with the Canvas process for absentee voting that absolutely <laughs> has to be changed. Amen, amen. <laughs> it's just, no, we've got to allow the processing of the ballots, curing of any defects, in advance of election day. We have to get the counting faster and we have to stop this blood sport between election lawyers finding picayune things that are trivial, that are sometimes nonsensical to try and invalidate and disenfranchise an absentee voter. That has got to stop. You know, and I, I, I agree, obviously, we had our major issues up here with objections in Onondaga County. Um, and, and not just in Onondaga County, you see it around New York 22 a little bit as well, and, and other places, and, and it didn't come to fruition because the blue shift of the mail-in voting ended up being so overwhelming in almost every Senate race that the objections didn't matter. The closest one was the Metzger race, where it actually, she just didn't get enough votes. Yeah. So the objections didn't matter on the Republican end, she ended up losing because the objections um, were less than the, the, the spread already. But, you know, I, I, I view this as a problem with billable hours. That is my issue, because I think it is election lawyers who are convincing their state parties, and mostly the Republican state party, that they can magically make that ballots disappear, that they can't for the most part and and that that these billable hours are racking up and that's that's why it's happening and we need to protect these voters so they don't have to come under this scrutiny just like voters who come to the ballot box on election day or early voting don't have to come to this scrutiny so i'm all in on that so and you know dustin i do want to give a shout out to syracuse.com right being there reporting on what was going on uh, using the freedom of information law to get the list of voters whose vote was going to be invalidated, turning it into a searchable database, allowing people to know what was going on. It's such an example of why we so desperately need to keep supporting local journalism. Because the New York Times isn't going to come in and cover this on a daily basis. NBC News, National News is not going to do that. But Syracuse.com really, really served its public well. And 
election reformers like myself who might not have known how bad the situation was without the outstanding reporting that happened. One correction, they didn't have to foil it. I gave it to them. But <laughs> <laughs> and it's not not just me. Commissioner Sardo did as well. Right. Because we have a public policy we had a yeah. policy in place that um, if, if somebody requested this is public data, they we would give them that data. And they did request it though. I didn't give it to yeah. them out of uh, yeah. they had to request it, they had to go through the regular process. So we didn't make them foil it. But they did do a good job of covering the process. And we tried to be as transparent in Onondaga County as well. I mean, I think that's one of the recommendations that's going to come from my uh, caucus of Democratic commissioners that um, a standardized uh, uh, process for these objections You're here. has to come into place. And I mean, we want to have them counted before Election Day as well. And we think, um, you know, no excuse absentee is coming. So yep. either it'll, it'll either happen in 2021 or 2022. But um, even as that happens, you're still going to get ballots that come in after election day, and we need to have a standardized process for when these are canvassed, how the objections are dealt with, and in my opinion, lean into the bipartisan nature of boards to limit some of these outside objections, knowing that we already have DNR uh, eyes on these ballots, but we'll see how the legislature goes forward with that. So I think there's some things we need to do to strengthen and make early voting work better for administrators and the voters. You know, you mentioned no-fault absentee. We have two constitutional amendments that passed in January of 2019. Now, in January of 2021, it's time for them to pass a second time and put them on the November 2021 ballot. One of them is no-fault absentee, so that right now there's an expansion of absentee balloting around the pandemic. It sunsets at the end of 2021. So if the amendment is passed by the legislature, goes on the ballot in November, is effective January 1, 2022, there won't be any break. Because Dustin, I don't think the voters are going back to a situation where it's hard to get an absentee ballot. No, I mean, the genie's out of the bottle, rightfully so. It's something that we've yeah. all been uh, advocates for voters uh, like myself and you and others have been for for a while and, not, and people obviously you know hundreds of thousands of people used it and liked it yeah. and, and I think we're going to see that as well. But and think, uh, same oh, day but, registration. Yeah. yeah and That's coming too. Yeah. Right and high up in our priorities for Common Cause New York and for the Let New York Vote Coalition is to codify the right of people on parole to be able to vote. We want them to come back to their communities and be full citizens. We don't want them to feel like second-class citizens who have no alternative but to stray off the path. We want to welcome them. We want to strengthen their ties to the communities. And, you know, we've had this un unfortunate experience in Monroe County with somebody who misunderstood his obligations or his ability to register to vote. And now, dec after serving decades in prison, being elderly, he's looking at being thrown back into prison because he mistakenly tried to register. I, I did not, I, didn't, I don't think I knew about that case. I'm going to have to look that up. That's, uh, you know, we saw that very famous case down in, I believe it was Texas, where Texas. 
you know, where somebody went back to jail after voting um, and mistakenly thinking that they had the right because Texas had pretty bad laws on that. Um, you're right. I mean, we, this is already, the parolees are already uh, happening through the governor's office because he couldn't get it codified. It should be codified. And it would make it easier for election administrators. Yeah, and for the governor and for the people who we want to have be fully functioning members of our community. Well, Susan, uh, as always, wonderful talking with you and seeing you again. And uh, um, if, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking. We won't be seeing each other in the LOB very much because uh, um, there won't be a much in person, but uh, we'll do another one of these sometime in February or March and kind of see how legislation is going uh, and getting ready for, um, you know, to, to see if what's passed and what we have to get done before the end of session. So love to. thank you very much for all you do and all your work you've put in across the state and here in Syracuse. And uh, uh, next up on Zoom with Zarni will be SU Professor David Dreisen, who's a College of Law professor. We'll be talking about the impact of the legislation wars that have happened over the last few weeks uh, with President Trump and uh, if, if there's going to be any long-term uh, impact on this, uh, on uh, future elections, and also what he would like to see reformed in election law here locally and uh, across the nation. Um, but as always, please remember to be safe, combat that virus by wearing a mask when you're outside, social distancing, and, and really trying to limit the spread of this virus until that vaccine can get to us. And, uh, and hopefully we can save some lives. So thank you very much for joining us today. And Susan, thank you again. And we'll uh, be back on Zoom with Zarni. We'll see you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye. I get no doubt.